last week on the Sonic Truth Dynasty podcast. Playerprofiler.com. <laughs> Advanced metrics and stats that actually predict performance. And uh, people refuse to do it. It just, it just want to talk about Cooper fucking Cup. And what is a poor man's Andre Williams? That's like a grocery store bagger. And I hope I don't offend anybody that's a grocery store bagger. And you don't know how to podcast. You don't know how to use Twitter. You don't write articles. What would you say you do here? And doing donuts in the middle of the field during a game, during a timeout. That happened. And no, there isn't a deeper metaphor there. And is this the time when you think people start masturbating to the show? What's up, everybody? Welcome to the Sonic Truth Dynasty Podcast. I'm your host, Nate Liss. You can find me on Twitter at an outraged Jew. And with me, as always, is Mr. Matt Kelly. You can find him on Twitter at fantasy underscore mansion. Matt, what's up, man? It's Thursday night this time, not Saturday, but do you still have that fire? Happy Passover, Nate Liss. Oh, wow. We did like 60 minutes of pre-show. Doesn't come up. Five seconds into the real show. We're dropping dimes. Shalom. Oh, shalom. This is great. It's a good day. Had some brisket taco for lunch today. Part of my leftovers from Passover dinner a couple nights ago. My wife is Jewish, and by extension, my daughter is Jewish. We had a whole negotiation when my wife was pregnant. She said, well, I'd really like to raise this child to be Jewish, take her to temple, Hebrew school, everything. And immediately I said to myself, I think we're in a point of negotiation. I think that I cannot just concede this point. I need to get something in return because that's the rule in business. You never give away anything without asking for something in return. Okay. Never, ever, 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 ever give away anything without asking for something in return that goes for dynasty trades as well. Mm. So when my wife proposed that we raise our daughter in the Jewish faith, teach her Judaism, I treated it like a dynasty trade. <laughs> this is so ridiculous. You're going to have to throw in a 2018 second rounder. And she said, no, that's not going to work. I like the 2018 class a lot. <laughs> so stupid. <laughs> and I said, how about this? I know that you're a raging Steeler fan and I'm a pretty muted Patriots fan actually mm -hmm. most people on the show most people that listen to the show don't actually know that I am a Patriots fan I conceal it rather well especially that one episode where I called Rob Gronkowski a Dwayne right that really helped to camouflage my Patriots fanhood so I said sure we'll let this child be Jewish if she's also a Patriots fan so we'll raise her as a Jewish Patriots fan deal uh Reached out my hand, we shook hands, done deal. Wow. My daughter now has a Tom Brady jersey, Patriots pom-poms, loves Rob Gronkowski. It's her favorite player. That and strangely Des Bryant. Not sure yeah, where that's that a, came from. He's, he's been injured for most of her life. That's good. <laughs> Somehow. It's, not sure. I don't know where that came from, but... She likes Des Bryant, too. Des Bryant and Gronk, the two alpha dogs of the alpha dogs on the offensive side of the football, which is a little bit terrifying for me as a father, if, if that's what she's attracted to. But no father wants their daughter to be attracted to the Rob Gronkowski male archetype. That's just not something that we feel 100% <laughs> right. comfortable with. No father would feel comfortable with that. Right. So now I'm part of this whole Jewish culture. And I'm not Jewish. I'm atheist. Mm. It's no God. Suckers. God, please. Wow. I'm not superstitious. Happy Passover, by the way. Yeah, thanks. Appreciate that. But you get a lot of benefits from where I sit. I get to skip temple and anything that's boring. <laughs> and But I do end up opting to go to these dinners that are delicious. Like this <laughs> Passover dinner. Brisket. Delicious. And my wife recently got a family membership to the JCC. All right. The Jewish Community Center is right down the road from us. 
and they have a fantastic gym. It has a pool, lap swim, personal training, Tabata classes. The classes are phenomenal. The gym's phenomenal. The pool is phenomenal. Mm. So I'm happy, and it's inexpensive. Like, I don't even understand it. I'm like, wait a second. The last <laughs> gym we were at didn't have a pool, didn't have nearly this selection of classes, and it was more expensive. Like, I don't even understand what they're doing at the Jewish Community Center, but if you have a Jewish Community Center around you and you have a gym membership somewhere else, I would highly recommend you take a tour of the JCC. My guess is it's a better value. (laughs) Surprisingly, you would think that anything that the Jews were running would be more expensive, but this sensible and affordable. I I appreciate that. Why are you doing that with the stereotypes? Why? I was just talking about value. I know (laughs) that you are part of the tribe and therefore you're allowed to stereotype Uh, yourself. I understand that. But come on, let's just leave the stereotypes aside. It's a great value. Okay. It's a great value. And the pool is phenomenal. So I'm, I'm swimming 50 laps or so. I'm a great swimmer. Okay. And then I find out, oh, there's a sauna too. So I'm in the sauna after the pool. I've done this Tabata class, swim some laps, just feel so tired and good. And the, the, the best thing you can do after that is nice sauna. So I'm sitting in the sauna, just blissful, really, blissful sauna experience. It would be really difficult to ruin my sauna experience, to ruin my whole exercise experience because it was just phenomenal. And then I realized why this JCC in particular is such a great value because <laughs> it's attached to the Jewish home for the elderly. Okay. All right. Which supplements the gym. Some smart people up there doing the bookkeeping. Why'd you have to do that? (laughs) Sorry. Come on. Why? Why? I mean, enough. Enough. All right. Sorry. Because in that moment, in walked an 80-year-old gentleman, and he didn't just walk up as most normal people would do, take a seat, lean back, and enjoy the sauna. No, no, no. No, 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 no. No, 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 no. He walked in and he was facing me. He was two feet away from me and he was wearing a towel and he just took the towel off. Just took it off. Like right in front of me. I mean, he could have faced any direction, but he was facing directly at me. There was no one else in the sauna. And I just closed my eyes and I said, you know, this has been a great day so far. My body feels tremendous. I am in a happy place and this isn't happening right now. And I didn't just see what I just saw old shriveled up balls (laughs) i mean this guy aren't you not embarrassed at that age to show that thing and that it wasn't even a thing it was just a little stub of a thing and these shriveled (laughs) little raisiny balls i mean it was embarrassing i was embarrassed on his behalf because he was so old so in, in general when you encounter people that are that old you just feel bad for them in general you're like aw. I'm going to be old like that someday if I make it that far. hope I make it that old. But then once I make it to be that old, it's going to be really inconvenient to be all wrinkled and <laughs> slow. But it's life, man. Sorry. And then to compound it with these little raisin balls and just putting them right in my <laughs> face. Cool. I have never had a close encounter with really old balls and it wasn't good no one ever should have a close encounter with old balls and it got worse he took his towel oh god and he started flossing between his legs (laughs) yes no he did he did do that because he had just showered and his way of drying off was to go into the sauna but of course he can't get all the moisture off he has to towel especially in in the creases and crevices sure and he's just flossing his taint right there (laughs) and it's just horrifying and you can close your eyes but you know it's there you know it's happening it doesn't stop it from being horrifying closing your eyes isn't enough (laughs) right and then he made it even worse by trying to talk to me In a loud voice, like not an inside voice that you would use like in a business meeting when someone else is trying to talk, you know? Right. Did you get that PowerPoint deck ready? <laughs> Damn it. No. He just, the conversation you would have with someone who is across the yard. How you doing? <laughs> it's... Did I see you swimming in the pool? Uh... And I just looked up at him and I couldn't keep my eyes closed any longer. 
He was addressing me. I was the only one in the sauna. I had to open my eyes and come face to face with the balls. <laughs> and I looked up, of course, because eye contact is way better than ball contact. Right. Not contact, con- you know, like eye contact. Right. Not physically. Gotcha. Oh, God, that would be. <laughs> Woo! <laughs> this was already a very difficult experience for me. I mean, it ruined my whole day. Right. I said a couple words to him, and then I just decided to get up and walk out of there. And it's just amazing how what was maybe the best workout I'd had in years was completely ruined by an elderly man who just had absolutely no self-awareness whatsoever. Don't be that guy. Everyone out there in Sonic Truth land, do not be chatty, floss-toweling old ball guy. (laughs) That's good. Hopefully, uh, is this one of those saunas that's got like the uh, the fake rocks yes. over the top of the heater in yes. the corner? Yes. I just yes. I want to tack something onto this. I used to go to a gym here where I live, and uh, there was there was a lot of Russians that went to that gym as well. And I would go into the sauna with seven or eight big Russian men in there when I would get in. And these guys, I only went in one time and never went in again. They would wring their towels out over the rocks. Oh. Is that not the grossest thing you've ever heard in your life? Right? So now you're breathing in the eucalyptus and the Russian stink butt sweat. I don't know what it is, Matt. I'm sorry I tacked on to this story. We're just getting it all out, man. We're just getting these <laughs> horrific life experiences out. Bad sauna experiences. Right. Real bad. Steam rooms, bad. Sauna, bad. And now I can't go in there without thinking about this guy. And I'm always worried. I peek in. I look in the, around the locker room to see if I think anyone's going to be coming in. It's like jerking off at home. <laughs> I just feel like I'm making sure no one's going to come home. No one's going to come into the sauna. Am I sure am I going to be alone for the next 15 minutes? Well, really, five minutes, let's be honest. Sure. Got to get it done quick. We've got priorities to get to. It's the same kind of experience. It was awful. But I'm glad that you've also had a bad sauna experience that we share that now. We do. It's a bond that we share. Another bond that we share is that we had an epic podcast together last week. Foreman versus McNichols. McNichols versus Foreman. I love that it was Foreman because George Foreman. Right. Epic battles with Muhammad Ali and others. So I love that Foreman is in there. And McNichols sounds like he could absolutely be a boxer from Boston. Sure. Foreman versus McNichols. McNichols versus Foreman. And on Twitter, someone wrote, Foreman broke Fantasy Mansion like an engine, a car engine without a car engine from a car engine without oil. (sighs) I want to take the Sonic Truth audience behind the scenes. Oh, God. Nate, I understand that we posted a poll after the show. And the Sonic Truth audience has spoken. 5347, Nate Liss won the Dante Foreman Jeremy McNichols argument. The case is closed. Woo! It's over. The people have spoken. Matt Kelly has lost. Nate Liss has won. Nate Liss is the champion. Mm. But when we concluded the recording of that particular show, who was the person who was actually broken when we turned the mics off? <laughs> What are we what are we doing right now? Are we we really gonna take these people behind the curtain again? Do we need to go to where it really got real? Things got real. It got real like real world. It was it was the real world house. Things were bad. And at the end of the episode What are you saying? I'm saying I was pretty salty when the episode ended. People don't hear that. They don't know about it, but You were genuinely upset with how that episode went. Yeah, I thought the episode uh, wasn't as good. As it ended up being, Matt had reassured me numerous times that it would be. But at the end of the episode, um, with the headache that I had, that was like a uh, level 10 grade, no migraine prescription pills would get rid of it. Uh, That mixed with the fact that I was just pissed off because I couldn't get a point across to Matt and he didn't want to hear it. So at the end of the episode, I was really pissed off and I thought the episode was going to suck. But the fact of the matter is 
it was A, the most polarizing episode we've ever made, and B, because of that, it may have been one of the most successful and most responsive episodes we've ever had amongst the Twitter crowd and the listeners. No show has ever resonated with the audience like that particular show did. People loved that show. But that's not a show that we can replicate on a weekly basis. So I understand, in theory, you'd say, well, you guys should just do the Dynasty League football version of First Take every week. But there's a couple reasons why that's not possible. Number one, it takes great energy from me to produce a show like that and then execute it on air. It takes great energy from Nate to absorb the punishment that I dished out and vice versa. <laughs> That's good. He right. dished out his share of punishment too. And I was annoyed at times with him throughout the show. But I can tell you that as the producer of the show, looking at the volume of audio on the Nate List side and the Matt Kelly side of the ledger, we talked about equal. I know you think that I dominated the conversation. You didn't have a chance to get your point across. You had plenty of opportunities to get your point across during a 22-minute McNichols versus Foreman debate where you talked for at least 10 of those minutes. <laughs> the notion that you didn't have a chance to speak in that show is foolish. Of course, you had plenty of opportunities to speak. But to take you even further behind the curtain, to take you behind a curtain behind the curtain. Oh, God. Before that show even began, I set up the show sheet specifically so that we would have the Sonic Truth version of First Take, knowing that we could do one of these shows per season because they are so physically and mentally taxing to both produce and execute on air. So what did I do? I selected specific players in which Nate is particularly passionate about and we disagree on. And I consolidated them into a single show sheet. That would give Nate the firepower to argue one for one, punch for punch with me throughout an entire show. And Nate recognized this at the beginning of the show. He said, I see what you're doing with this show. I looked at the show sheet. You're teeing us up to argue for the entire show. I'm not so sure this is a good idea. And all I said was, trust me. Then the show was over. And Nate's head was in his hands. <laughs> he was upset. We talked it out for 30 minutes after the show. He was going to quit the show when the outro ran. And we closed it out with the final music segment. He tears his headphones off, throws them on the table, talks about this screaming headache that he has and how we never solve anything on this show and the show's a waste of time and he has no idea why he even tries as much as he does and threatens to try even less and that's not possible no one could try less <laughs> nate so does the bare minimum on these episodes he produces nothing he prepares nothing and some would argue he says nothing during the show that's good. He does the exact bare minimum that one could do to host a show. But he threatens me after it's over by telling me that he's thinking about doing even less for the next show because he's just upset and he feels like I railroaded him during that episode. He feels this way for days and then the episode drops and the public hears it. And suddenly Nate Liss is a hero. Suddenly he's winning popularity polls. Next thing I know, he's draping the American flag over his shoulders. <laughs> and I had predicted this days ago. He said, why are you so confident this show is going to resonate? I said, because America loves an underdog, Nate. They're going to love you after the show drops. And that's exactly what happened. You're welcome. Thanks, man. I didn't know that you had preemptively set me up to be a hero. That episode, yeah, it was taxing. And when it was over, I was, you know, people don't know this, but Matt and I do oftentimes talk for a little bit before the show and we talk after the show. And when that episode ended, yeah, like you said, I was, I was upset and I was pissed. And then when I heard the episode that did change my opinion, cause like Matt said, it, it was very one for one and it, it did seem like we had equal amounts of time and takes. And generally in the past when we've debated, you consume a majority of the talking time on a debate. It's, it's not because you don't want me to talk, but part of your tactic is, you know, is, is 
cutting in, saying what you want to say. Shock and awe, overwhelm the opponent. Sure. And but on this episode, it was it was very even this time. So when I listened back to it, expecting to basically hear Matt Kelly talk for the entire episode, I heard myself continue to come back and say things and do things. And I was like, okay, you know, this episode sounds better than I expected it to. And then the response on Twitter, people were, oh, you finally stood up to Matt Kelly. You know, good job, this and that. And so it's it's funny to hear that because, number one, I didn't realize that people thought I was cowering every episode, which bugged me as much as it was a compliment. It seemed backhanded. And then the other thing is that just the response from it was great. And then, yeah, the poll, you know, I, I hope that I increased Deontay Foreman's ADP like a full couple picks. I hope that I did that last week because he deserves it. Yeah, you changed Dante Foreman's best comparable player from Jonathan Stewart to Jonathan Stewart. <laughs> That's good. Yeah, Jonathan Stewart's a great comp for Dante Foreman because Jonathan Stewart never hit his peak expectations as a first-round draft pick, and neither will Dante Foreman unless he lands on a team like the Raiders. But now we have a buzzard message. And we do have a buzzard, Matt. Um, you can contact the show on Twitter at Sonic Truth Pod, or you can contact me or Matt Kelly directly. But here's the buzzard email. If Mixon gets drafted in the fourth round by a team that has an established workhorse, is he still your number one back? Hell no. Of course not. That's why this exercise of establishing these definitive rankings before the draft is... One of the many masturbatory exercises that we go through as football analysts. We all agree that Mixon is the most talented back, but that doesn't mean that you're drafting him ahead of Dalvin Cook and ahead of Leonard Fournette. You might. It depends on where Joe Mixon gets drafted. But I often hear this argument against Joe Mixon, his off-the-field behavior, character concerns. But anecdotally, his track record is very similar to Dalvin Cook. And now I'm hearing that his draft grade is very similar to Dalvin Cook across NFL teams. More and more draft insiders are speculating that Mixon will actually get drafted before Dalvin Cook but they will still both be drafted well after Leonard Fournette and most likely also well after Christian McCaffrey. NFL draft position and landing spot matters for all these running backs. My top four could completely flip after the draft. I mean, even Dalvin Cook is susceptible to being drafted by a team that already has better running backs on the roster. Dalvin Cook, like Joe Mixon, visited the Browns. I talked about this on an earlier Roto Underworld show. The Browns are already stocked at running back. They have two of the better running backs in the league in Isaiah Crowell and Duke Johnson. Isaiah Crowell is one of the best between the tackles grinders in the NFL. Duke Johnson's one of the best satellite backs in the NFL. Dalvin Cook goes to the Browns. That's a problem. Also, Dalvin Cook going to a team with a bad offensive line is a problem. Just like Leonard Fournette going to a team with a bad offensive line is a problem. Just like Dante Foreman going to a team with a bad offensive line is a problem. And of course, Joe Mixon going to a team with a bad offensive line is a problem. The player that's the least landing spot dependent is Christian McCaffrey because as a satellite back, he's less susceptible to being consumed by defenders between the tackles. He receives the ball out away from the defenders on the perimeter and is therefore less susceptible to a below average run blocking offensive line. The penetrating defenders are not going to be as big of a problem for a Christian McCaffrey as they would be for a Leonard Fournette. Regardless, even with Christian McCaffrey, you don't want him landing on a team with a bad offensive line because running back is an interdependent position. It's much more interdependent than the wide receiver position. The wide receiver position is dependent on the quarterback and the quarterback only. The running back position is interdependent on the quarterback, the wide receiver, the efficiency of every player on the offensive side of the football, especially all those offensive linemen that are blocking for them. All five or six offensive linemen all matter to the running back. So the running back is both role dependent 
and situation dependent. So you don't want a player like Dalvin Cook or Leonard Fournette to land on a team that already has an established, efficient running back, and you don't want them landing on a team with a bad offensive line. If either of those things happen, especially to Dalvin Cook, who may likely fall out of the first round, he could be crippled by either one of those scenarios, landing on a team with an established stud or landing on a team with a bad offensive line. Dalvin Cook could fall out of the second round into the third or fourth round at this point. Dalvin Cook's draft stock is currently in free fall. Meanwhile, Joe Mixon's is a rocket ship. In two weeks when draft day happens, Joe Mixon could be a consensus first rounder. That's where we're headed with Joe Mixon. But either way, all running backs are very much landing spot dependent in a way that wide receivers are typically not because you want your running back to land on a team with an efficient offense, an efficient run blocking offensive line, and a prolific offense that provides lots of red zone carries. So which team is the best for a running back to land on? I think it's pretty clear. It's who we want Dante Foreman to land on. It's the Oakland Raiders. Until Marshawn Lynch signs, they do not have an established incumbent. They have a top 10 run blocking offensive line and a prolific offense with lots of red zone visits. So Joe Mixon lands on the Raiders. He should be the number one back on everyone's board. Fuck Leonard Fournette at that point. Joe Mixon's your 101. I agree. And I heard an analyst mention this. Um, I don't know where it originated from, but it's in regards to Mixon. And basically what he said was, no matter what round you take Mixon in, whether it's the first round or the seventh round, the response and resonation from that pick is going to be the same from critics and fans. So if you covet Mixon's abilities and his production, you may as well take him with your top pick or one of your higher picks, because honestly, no matter what, you're going to end up with the same response. So why not assure yourself of locking up a talent like Mixon? And yeah, the Raiders at 24 would be the perfect spot to take him, even if they do have Lynch. I mean, we talked last episode. Lynch might have one year, two years. I don't necessarily know why he's coming back. I don't know that. You don't know why he's coming back? No. I know why he's coming back. Why? To run through a motherfucking face. Oh, God, not this again. Let's run the Marshawn Lynch sound one more time. That's when it just clicked in my mind that if you just run through somebody's face, a lot of people ain't going to be able to take that over and 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 over again. They're just not going to want that. Think there's a deeper metaphor there? Run through a motherfucker face. Then you don't have to worry about them no more. It's fantastic to hear from Marshawn once again. But the point is, Marshawn Lynch may have a terrible 2017, and Oakland let Latavius Murray go. So who's the next back behind him? It would make sense to have Mixon. Mixon could mix in behind Marshawn Lynch, and you could still have a great duo right there, right? That's the worst. I'm not letting you get away with that. I'm taking the microphone away from you. You're not allowed to use a microphone for two minutes. You're in microphone timeout after that one. But I hear that draft position is going to matter for Mixon. No, it, it actually doesn't matter for Mixon. It's landing spot that matters. It's not actually draft position. If Mixon gets drafted by the Pittsburgh Steelers in the second round, that's infinitely worse than Joe Mixon getting drafted by the Oakland Raiders in round six. Okay, turn your microphone back on. You're out of timeout. Oh, thank God. Yeah, or or what if Mixon for some reason got drafted by, say, the Detroit Lions? There's opportunities out there. Is it Detroit or Detroit? I don't know. On the West Coast, we say Detroit. Is it Detroit? Detroit, Rock City. Detroit. I'm sure somebody on Twitter will correct me for that. But yeah, there are places where... I think it's Detroit. Mixon can go later in this draft to better teams, to playoff teams. If one of these teams feel like with a a pick between 20 and 32, they want to lock up a talent like Mixon, Mixon could end up on a team with a great O-line, which like you're saying, is interdependent between the two. And I think the Lions would also be a great fit. I realize Amir Abdullah is there, but nobody in that backfield is a sure shot. And I would actually like Mixon there as well. I love the show, man. I love getting back to what we do best. Shows where we talk about sauna experiences with 80-year-olds. Shows where we agree about players like Joe Mixon, where we build on each other's points like a seasoned improv team. Mm, A troop. Yes. 
get away from the constant arguing, the bickering disagreements that we had in the last show. Those are just wearying. A lot of people in the the sadistic members of the audience like those particular shows, but we <laughs> actually don't like doing those shows. These are the shows we like. These shows are fun. Shows where we get to talk. Shows where we can address buzzard messages. Hit me with another buzzard message. Love this show. Uh, We're back in the saddle doing the shows we love to do. Oh, man. All right. I don't know if you're going to like this one. Here's another buzzard email for you, Matt. Enough with the Deshaun Watson arm strength narrative. Not drafted at all? What the hell are you smoking? Crack? Weed? If Watson becomes a quality NFL starter, you're going to regret that take. Will I regret this take? Run the breaking news. No. Deshaun Watson's arm strength is an enormous problem. And yet I keep seeing Deshaun Watson mocked in the first round. And the NFL just announced the list of players they're inviting to attend the draft in person and sit in the green room and potentially sit there awkwardly as picks fly off the board and they are not selected a la Geno Smith. Deshaun Watson was invited to attend the draft. And Deshaun Watson, if you're listening, or Deshaun Watson's family, if you're listening, friends, if you're listening, do not attend the draft. NFL teams are not going to draft a quarterback who would have the weakest arm among NFL starters. Name the team that wants that quarterback under center. It's terrifying. And it's not just that he has a relatively weak arm. He has zero arm strength whatsoever. He's under 50 miles per hour. We didn't have an NFL starter last season under 50 miles per hour. We're projected to have one starter this season under 50 miles per hour. That's Mike Glennon at 49 miles per hour. Deshaun Watson's been clocked anywhere from 45 miles per hour to 49 miles per hour. So his ceiling in terms of arm strength is Mike Glennon. Mike Glennon, who no one is sure can play in the NFL yet. And that's the player that an NFL team is going to invest a first round pick on. I do not see it. Stay away from Philadelphia, Deshaun Watson. Stay at home and better yet, stay in the bathroom. Just lock yourself in the bathroom. Don't let anyone see you staring off into the distance as picks roll off the board, not named Deshaun Watson. All right, let me ask you a question just to get some clarity out there for the listeners. I realize that you went on that epic take where you called him a Canadian Football League candidate. A very good one. He's going to be very successful. He'll be very proud of his accomplishments. Do you think that Doug Flutie just threw away his trophies from the Canadian Football League? No, he takes great pride in those accomplishments. And I'm sure Deshaun Watson will as well. Okay, you can't honestly believe, though, that Deshaun Watson doesn't deserve to be picked in, like, the third or fourth round. If, if you don't believe he's a first-round pick, and the second-round pick is where a lot of hits come out of, too. If he's sitting there in the third, you're fine with it, right? It depends on who's on the board. Not if Joe Mixon's on the board. Not if Juju Smith-Schuster's on the board. Not if Chris Godwin's on the board. I'm not okay with it. No. I mean, at that point, it's the best player available argument in the later rounds yes i would draft deshaun watson i don't think deshaun watson is jason white i don't think deshaun watson actually deserves to go undrafted but i think deshaun watson's probability of becoming a quality nfl starter is very low when you draft deshaun watson you're betting on an extreme outlier and you bet on extreme outliers in the fifth sixth and seventh rounds not the first round I don't know that Deshaun Watson is projected anymore to go in the first round. He got invited to attend the draft. All the players invited to attend the draft are likely first rounders. I don't know what to tell you. There's a team that's probably going to fall in love with him. I'm not going to be surprised if he goes in the first round, but the more talk you hear about it from some of these big scouts, they're sort of writing him out of the first round. Yeah, the latest mock by Daniel Jeremiah on NFL.com does not have Deshaun Watson in the first round correctly. Well, there you go. So, you know, uh, there may be some substance to that because, you know, some of his mocks he writes 
for just his own personal enjoyment. But other mocks. What? What do you mean his own personal enjoyment? What does that mean? Things that he'd like to see. What he. I mean, you're taking mock drafts to a whole nother level of masturbation at that point. What he thinks that a team would be suited with versus what he's heard, like between other scouts, between organizations, executives. And he's probably heard some people say that they're not interested in Deshaun Watson at that point. You know, there's Trubisky, there's Kaiser, there's Webb, there's Mahomes. There's guys that have crept up there, and it sounds like Pat Mahomes is going in the first round. He has Mahomes at 27, Trubisky at 25, Kaiser and Watson outside the first round. I think this draft is a weak quarterback class other than Patrick Mahomes, but Patrick Mahomes is largely unappreciated by NFL draft analysts. We're not sure how much NFL teams actually appreciate him, but it wouldn't surprise me if no quarterbacks are drafted in the first 15 picks. Yeah, it's a cornerback heavy class too, and there's a lot of good D-line. And like we talked about, there's some of these running backs that could bump up. Who knows where Christian McCaffrey goes? He's kind of a wild card. He could be in that top 15 potentially. You know Fournette's probably going in the top 10. So yeah, it's likely possible. I'll tell you who I'd take Deshaun Watson over. I'd draft Deshaun Watson over Wayne Gallman mm. in the fifth round of a draft. What do you think about Wayne Gallman? Mm, 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 mm. We're going to rotate here a little bit. Um, I don't hate Wayne Gallman, but... You know that mm, 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 is going in the outtakes, right? Yeah, I, I gave that to you. You know when you do that, right? You make these sounds... And then you attack me for mischaracterizing the noises you make in the outtakes. But these are real noises that you make. I'm not copying noises from the last show. I'm using new noises every show. Well, I, I don't know what to tell you, man. I'm trying not to do it because I don't want to give you more firepower. But apparently in the end, I continued to do it anyways. I don't want to do that. Um, anyways, Wayne Gallman, let's talk about him for a minute. Played at Clemson with Deshaun Watson, who doesn't throw the ball hard, as you said. Um, Did Wayne Gallman play at Clemson? Yes. You sure about that? Positive. I know. Everyone knows that. He was in the national championship game. Okay. I don't know what's going on anymore. I'm, I'm fucking with you. Oh, thanks, man. Well, first F-bomb of the episode. All right. So good size, six foot, 215 pounds, high cut frame. What's cool about- High cut frame? Yeah. What does that mean? Long, Longer torso, longer legs- but the thing about Gallman, immediately... Wait, does he have a long torso or longer legs? Longer legs. What did I say? Did I say long torso at first? Yeah. All right, we're getting tripped up here. Not a leg reference there. You're getting tripped up by your body type vernacular, but go ahead. Keep going. The first thing you'll notice is how hard Gallman hits the first level. That's one thing about him. A, a lot of backs look to be more elusive and avoid contact. And Gallman doesn't necessarily search for it either, but when he hits a gap, he blasts through it as hard as anybody in this class. He was competitive on every snap, whether it was the first touch of the game or his last touch of the game. He battles all the time. But Gallman is a one-cut runner who isn't particularly creative behind the line of scrimmage. But for a team that's looking for a banger with some pass-catching ability, Gallman may be a good fit. And I've always envisioned him, and I realize with the mock drafting and stuff, it may not work out. But I've always envisioned him going to the Carolina Panthers as like a mid-to-late-round pick. Because even in college, I remember watching plays where it was a design and he was a blocker for Deshaun Watson on design quarterback runs. And I can just picture him doing that with Cam mixed with sort of the diverse ability he has as perhaps a second back out of the stable. Uh, but you got to see him line up as a slot receiver. So he's a lot more diverse than I think people realize. But on the athleticism size, ran a 4-6. <laughs> shaved a little bit off of that on his pro day um bettered his vertical leap a little bit on his pro day um his three cone dude stop talking about his pro day people only talk about the pro day instead of the combine if they're trying to practice confirmation bias because they like the player to begin with and they're out there searching for information that shines the most positive light possible on the player I'm just saying, vertical leap is one of those things that... He has a 107.5, 34th percentile Spark X score. He's a non-athlete. He is a pumped-up version of Aaron Green, a player you liked last year. He's bigger than Aaron Green. That's why I said he's pumped up. He's a big Aaron Green. That's all he is. 
He's not a great athlete, and I'm not going to say he's like Aaron Green. Let's let's move on to another running back. Are you? No, I'm not willing to move on to another running back because I want to tell people where we have Wayne Gallman ranked on PlayerProfiler.com forward slash Player dash Rankings. Here's where we have Wayne Gallman on our running back rankings. What a dick. We don't have Wayne Gallman ranked. I'll give you Logan. You got to rank Gallman. The kid can bang. No, he's not an NFL player. He was just in the national championship game, so you like him. That is not why I like him. We should move on from Wayne Gallman and bashing him because maybe... No, let's go to a player I like, Brian Hill. Mm. Brian Hill is exciting. Brian Hill has a prototypical size, six foot two twenty, runs a four five four. So if you account for his weight, that's a 103.170th percentile speed score above average burst and above average agility for his size as well at six foot 220 if you have an 1135 agility score that's upper percentile size adjusted agility and he was also a dominant producer at wyoming 35 percent college dominator i like brian hill i think brian hill could easily be the number three back and become fantasy relevant very quickly because of injuries in his rookie season. It's a good take. Um, Hill's another tough runner with feature size, like you mentioned, but he's also a plus athlete and the most productive running back in the history of Wyoming's program. Granted, there was probably not many great ones before him. Is Wyoming one of these systems that produces spectacular college running back stats a la Boise State? No, definitely not. Not like Boise State. But I want to say that Hill shows some of the best vision in the class. And honest to God, his ability to use blockers and preemptively set up his blocks was evident. And he showed a solid blend of toughness and power as a runner as well. And he was one of the best players I've honestly ever watched at using the blockers when they're in front of him. It's pretty incredible if, if you get to watch any game film of him. The way that he's setting stuff up and his pace and his varied tempo, um, th the way he mixes it up is pretty incredible. And when the blockers are in front of him, he was definitely one of the best. But when they aren't, he does a pretty good job of slipping through creases, but he starts to get really loose when the blockers aren't in front of him. It makes himself a bit vulnerable because he has a bit of an upright running style. Because he's six foot tall. He doesn't have an upright running style. He's just tall. He does have an upright running style. Just say he's tall. He is tall, but there's tall running backs. That don't, I mean, Adrian Peterson, yes, upright running style. Very upright running style. Also right. six foot tall. But let's not forget, plays in the Mountain West Conference. I don't want to do this right now because I feel like we beat this one to death. No, just don't do that. Just be positive. I like Brian Hill. You like Brian Hill. We have Brian Hill in our top 20. Because I can see Brian Hill being a very productive NFL player. He has the vision and the explosion where he can be a one-cut runner in a zone-blocking scheme, find those creases and crevices, and then boom, explode through those holes, and he has the receiving capability. There are no big red flags on the Brian Hill profile. That means if he somehow lands on a depth chart that's going to give him opportunity in year one, I think he will rise to the challenge. Talked about how last year Paul Perkins did not rise to the challenge in New York. If Brian Hill were on the Giants depth chart as Paul Perkins was last year, I think Brian Hill would have been more productive. Brian Hill's a better athlete and was more productive at the college level than Paul Perkins. But the nice thing about Brian Hill is, like Paul Perkins, coming out at a very early age, 21 years old, all of his production came at ages 18, 19, 20. That's what we want in our football players to be precocious producers. The other thing about Brian Hill that we should mention is he had more carries than Deontay Foreman did this year. 349, played 14 games, was healthy all year. Workhorse. So he has that workhorse back thing. Workhorse. And he's got a season on his profile with 20... <laughs> <laughs> That's Brian Hill oh to take a hand oh off. God. 
Oh my goodness. Wow, this episode. You can tell it's getting towards the end when the, the manual mouth sound effects come out. Yes, Brian Hill is great. Next guy I want to talk about, Matt Breida. Mm, okay. Matt Breida is interesting because Matt Breida was a Doak Walker Award nominee as a sophomore. Now, of course, he didn't win because Derrick Henry won the award in 2015. And at Georgia State, he's all set up to have a monster season as a junior, right? You think Matt Breida averaging eight yards a carry is all set up to just dominate in his final year at Georgia State. What happens? The inexplicable cratering of the inexplicable cratering of a college running back that I've ever seen. I mean, I have never in my lifetime analyzing college football running back statistics seen a drop-off this precipitous to go from 1,609 yards with 7.9 yards per carry to 646 yards and 3.8 yards per carry in the same amount of games is stunning. Yeah, I was looking at that as well. I'll say this much. If you didn't like a big back from the Power 5 conference in Deontay Foreman who didn't catch the ball in college, then I am positive that you aren't going to like a small back from a small conference who didn't catch the ball either. Um, Brita does offer some rare athleticism. I think that... Yeah, this is the thing. This is something that needs to be noted. He's not a big guy, right? So 5'11", 195, but the athleticism off the charts... What's interesting about him is he actually checked in at 5'9 at his pro day. So I think that's a good sign for him that he's smaller and more nimble, better BMI. But yeah, 100th percentile burst score, 138.4, 100th percentile burst score, 44440, 11'19 agility score, 68th percentile, and incredible strength, 23 bench reps of 225. That's 74th percentile. So he's a 90th percentile spark athlete. Matt Breida is exciting. And if you want to chase the athleticism, go ahead and rationalize away that junior year. Who knows? Maybe he was playing with an injury all year and he wouldn't disclose it. I have no idea. But he had a special freshman and sophomore season. And I'll, I'll grant you, not a pass catcher. Understood. If I'm drafting a running back in the first round of a dynasty rookie draft, he better catch passes. But if I'm going to draft a running back in a deep dynasty league in rounds five, six, seven of a rookie draft, I'm going to chase the athlete and the red flags are not going to be what I focus on. And that athlete is Matt Breida. The interesting thing about Matt Breida, yeah, I agree. You look at his last season. He wasn't super productive. In 2014, he had seven games where he rushed for over 100 yards. In 2015, seven games. As a true freshman. In 2015, he did it again, seven games for over 100 yards. But in 2016, he only had one game where he rushed for over 100 yards. Now, it was against one of his biggest out-of-conference opponents in an SEC opponent in Mississippi, 22 carries, 100 yards, one touchdown. So he, at least he did flash it versus a good team. But Breida really did disappear in this last season. Um, when I watched him, though, he's a back that obviously wasn't targeted often in the past game despite an electric amount of speed and burst, which seems really weird. You've got to have awful hands or a quarterback that's just wildly inaccurate to not try to get this guy the ball in this sort of conference. But shows a ton of explosion at the line of scrimmage and surprising power for a back of his size. He's another tough runner that fights for extra yards. He was an okay pass protector when you watch him, but he shows a willingness to not be afraid to go up against big defenders on free rushes. So that's something you like to see. That there's potential there. Um, but when you watch him, he has the quickness and burst to be special, but didn't really take advantage of the blocking in front of him or cut back lanes. And sometimes his speed was so great that he decided to just outrun blocking and gave up opportunities for more yards to try and get in front of them and, you know, and beat a defender one-on-one -on -one and break them down. So I like him, um, but yeah, like you said, chase the athleticism in the later rounds, and this guy clearly has it. I mean, one of the most athletic backs in the whole class. He's Daryl Richardson, Leach Seastrunk, Raheem Mostert. Those are his three best comparables on playerprofiler.com. Mostert, Seastrunk, Richardson. None of those players fired at the NFL level. They were small and hugely explosive and not active in the passing game. 
that's not an archetype that's typically successful, unfortunately. What about the Elijah Maguire archetype? Mm. Yeah, another one of these guys, um, five foot 10, 215 pounds. So pretty good frame. You look at the athleticism and you could probably tell us what you've got on playerprofiler.com, but on the surface, probably decent athleticism. Yeah. What do you got over there at playerprofiler.com? That's a, I never use that site player. What is it again? Give it to me again. Playerprofiles.com player profiles. Yeah. Try that one player profiles. Let me try that. I'm going to go there right now. I did not say player profiles. No, you didn't. I was just kidding. You should buy that domain too, though, just in case. It's a player profiles of baseball players. Look at that. Mm. Hello, just player profile. See what that is. Let's see what player profile (laughs) is without the er or the s. Player profile is the future home of something cool. Oh. I'm intrigued. I'll check back later. It's nothing. Player Profiler, that's a cool site right there. Woo-hoo-hoo-hoo-hoo. Excellent site. Like going to this data analysis tab at the top on playerprofiler.com. That's where I can search players by any metric in the database and sort them and export them. Incredibly powerful. Oh, back. And Elijah Maguire looks pretty good. Above average speed and burst, but he's not agile in the least. Went to Louisiana Lafayette. Below average yards per carry. So to me, he's a poor man's Brian Hill. Similar measurables, but was not as efficient at the college level. And he's older. So it's hard for me to build a case for Elijah McGuire, given that there are better small school backs on the board, like a Brian Hill, like an Aaron Jones. I will say this, though. Of the backs that we've named so far, he has 130 receptions on his profile. So definitely somebody that can filter in into the pass catching game. But yeah, I agree. Doesn't necessarily have the super plus athleticism to necessarily make it in this league with better athletes from better conferences in front of him. But I don't see a big difference between McGuire and Kamara. Why is there a big difference? They're both elite pass catchers. But that's their role. They're one-dimensional pass catchers. Maybe they can also play on special teams. But these are not every-down players. What's the big difference? We were having such a good episode. It was such a good episode. This was so nice. This was this was the episode where everybody hugged and made up and everything was nice because they had the fight the previous week before. Felt like a nice, relaxing sauna. <laughs> right, right, right. The Russians are wringing the sweat out. Listen... There is a difference. Elijah McGuire is not as nuanced. I-, I think he's one of the guys that at the position is going to take longer to come around. He's one of the guys that even if he got drafted, I'm not sure that he has the abilities day one to really be a contributor, despite the fact that he does have the pass catching profile. Alvin Kamara is a lot more prepared at this juncture in his career. He is a good runner. He does show ability. I know that there are some question marks about his ability to run between the tackles. I don't see it necessarily the same as some other people, but that's the subjectivity to film sometimes. But I don't see McGuire and Kamara as even close to the same ballpark. They're incredibly close comparables according to the numbers. They're the exact same size, 5'10", 214, similar 40 times, similar burst, almost exactly the same agility score. But McGuire, a much better college dominator because Kamara was never an every-down player in college, which is an enormous red flag. It's as big of a red flag as Elijah McGuire only rushing for 4.9 yards per carry against Louisiana Lafayette competition. They're both NFL satellite backs with red flags. They're flawed satellite backs. I am not, I'm not doing this again, but Joshua Dobbs was a big reason why the Tennessee Volunteers didn't use Kamara in the way that you've seen a lot of these other feature backs use. And that's fine. I'm not going to debate this anymore. I'm not going to put Elijah McGuire in the same conversation as Alvin Kamara. I understand your argument against Dante Foreman. I get it. I really do. I understand it. I've processed it. It's, it's good. It's a good argument. The people have spoken. 53-47. It's an excellent argument. You beat Matt Kelly in an argument about football players. That's very difficult to do. It's next to impossible. So congratulations, by the way. Thanks. It's a rarity there. I mean, that's a huge accomplishment. I mean, you just... Uh. 
Take a bow, Nate Liss. I'm already sitting down. I'm halfway there. You have no data to support your Alvin Kamara position. None. It's strictly this anecdotal idea that Alvin Kamara looks good in space when you watched him on tape. It's not enough. He doesn't just look good in space. He is good in space. <laughs> yes, there it is. There it is. There it is. This is the vapor take of the year. Oh, my gosh. The Alvin Kamara tout is the vapor take of the year. Elijah Maguire is the arbitrage play on Alvin Kamara. You heard that on the Sonic Truth podcast. Let me just add this in. People know this. From my constant defenses of Kamara, I don't even have him in my top five. So to be fair, he's not even in my top five running backs. I just think that he's a lot better than people are giving him credit for. I actually think Kamara is underrated considering where he's being projected. I realize the projections are saying first round, likely, potential, second round, probably. I still feel like he's underrated because he's getting hit with the look at the lack of usage. Look at the he carried the ball 103 times, had 40 receptions. The guy getting hit with the lack of usage. Do you know the last player that wasn't an early down runner to become an established satellite back in the NFL? I don't know. You wrote the question. What's the answer? James White. I don't know how to respond to that. I'm not going to say that it. James White's been productive for the Patriots, quietly productive, but was never given a significant opportunity share while at Wisconsin. So it is possible, I'm admitting to you, that it's possible for Alvin Kamara to be one day James White, a more athletic version of James White even, a better James White even. It's in his range of outcomes. Well, we're talking about analytics. Analytics are probabilities defining possibilities. And the odds that Alvin Kamara becomes... And every year, fantasy contributor are very low. Now, looking at Wisconsin running backs, are they as low as Corey Clement? Does he have a chance to be relevant in fantasy football? Because his yards per carry was even worse than McGuire's 4.4 in the Big Ten. He had a good three cone? I don't know. You know, yeah, Clement, he's uh, another one of these guys. And I don't know what to tell you. Um, feature size. You could just say he's bad, you know. You don't have to like every player. We also don't have him ranked. Two players that we've talked about so far today that we do not have ranked on playerprofiler.com. Corey Clement and Wayne Gallman. I understand the uh, Clement thing. I'm not trying to defend him. I just like to give a breakdown on players because I feel like at least I'm doing justice for those that don't know who he is. But there's not much to say about him. Not a wildly productive college career. He was productive last year, though. 33% dominator rating, 70th percentile. And his profile does look very similar to some successful running backs of the past. Think Mark Ingram. Last year, we had Alex Collins drafted in the mid-rounds who had a profile similar to Clement. So that's his comp on playerprofiler.com, Alex Collins. It's not the worst. It's not awful. I think knowing that, we should rank Corey Clement on playerprofiler.com. I just need to expand the rankings and add him. I think he deserves to be ranked. I'm sorry to Corey Clement and his family and his agent and everyone that relies on Corey Clement getting drafted. I'm sorry that we don't have him ranked on playerprofiler.com. We will expand the rankings. He absolutely deserves to be ranked. We'll have him ranked ahead of Wayne Gallman. That's for fucking sure. Oh, that's a bad take. If Wisconsin were in the national championship game, you would have had Corey Clement ranked ahead of Wayne Gallman. No, I wouldn't know. We're not doing this right now. It's been such a good episode. Let's not go to this place. Look, Corey Clement ran a 468. He's not a burner. He doesn't have great burst. 28 inch vertical, nine foot seven broad jump. <laughs> Look, yeah, he did, he had a decent senior year. He had a decent senior year. And he it looks like he was obviously hurt his junior year. So that's the other problem. The breakout age is very late. He has size and he has agility. He has great size adjusted agility. And that alone is something we look for more than anything else. Size adjusted agility is one of the most predictive data points for a running back. So that's important. He has the one thing that we really are looking for. But to do it as a senior really is a fart noise. Right. But uh, this is one of those guys, though, if you look at his combine to his pro day, there were some things that changed that were pretty great. His vertical leap, he increased it from 28 and a half to 32, he increased his broad jump three inches. How the hell did he do that? 
Uh, you know, some of these guys just don't test well the first time. And uh, Fusu Vu has talked about this before, but some of these guys go to their pro day and increase some of these drills. And so, yeah, his vertical leap went up three and a half inches. His, you know, broad jump went up three. So there are some adjustments there. And those aren't like the hand times where you need to adjust them for pro days versus laser time at the combine. So there are some adjustments there, um, but still not an overwhelming athlete. But I agree with your take about the three cone drill being pretty important. So we'll see where he goes. And being ranked ahead of Wayne Gallman, whatever. I don't even know where those two guys are amongst my ranks, but it's fine. Wait, now you don't even know where Wayne Gallman is ranked? You called Wayne Gallman an elite banger at the next level, as if that even has <laughs> meaning. Wait a minute, wait a minute. So the elite banger in this class that everyone should be considering uh, in the middle rounds, Wayne Gallman, you don't even know where you have him ranked? Shalom. All right, yeah, I mean, I practice sports take jujitsu, and whenever we get on the mat, you end up facing down, tapping your hand, asking me to let you breathe. <laughs> <laughs> Doug Flutie just threw away his trophies from the Canadian Football League. No, he takes great pride in those accomplishments, and I'm sure Deshaun Watson will as well. You don't know why he's coming back? No. I know why he's coming back. Why? To run through a motherfucking face. I have never had a close encounter with really old balls, and he's just flossing his taint right there and it's just horrifying and you can close your eyes but you know it's there you know it's happening it doesn't stop it from being horrifying did Wayne Gallman play at Clemson the bottom line is I was right that that show was going to turn out great and when you hung up the phone you had absolutely no idea what that the show was going to be as great as it ended up being you had no concept of that show. Dude, I was so tired from constantly attempting to make a point. And then like we talked about, every point that I made, somehow you turn the angle of the point just a little bit. And when it came back to me, it's not what I was saying originally, but now I'm defending something that I never said. So it's like submarine warfare where they launch the torpedo and then I loop back around, and all of a sudden your own torpedo is headed right for you? Not even my own torpedo. It looked different than the one that I fired. It was mine, but it was changed a little bit. I knew people would be on your side also, because people love an underdog story. I was going to wear an American flag over my shoulders for this episode. They just want guys fighting everyone's like oh people are fighting in the schoolyard and suddenly there's a crowd gathered i don't want to do another episode like that for a long time and it's like you said you can't organically do that week over week over week it's impossible well it is possible it's called first take <sighs> the alvin kamara tout is the vapor take of the year oj's such a good blocker that it's going to be hard for him not to be an integral part of that right off the bat. And I know they free those guys up to catch the ball, and O.J. Howard's got crazy athleticism. Bucky Hodges is more like Fleener. This class is so loaded. When you cut across the profile, the number of boxes they check, they're just, if you just had a green light for every box, it's just like they're all bright green. Uh, 
Oh my god. <sighs> I've never been on TV before. I'm not nervous. Mm, 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 mm. People aren't going to be able to take their eyes off you if you start doing that stuff because people are going to be like, this guy, this guy is a nut. People aren't going to be able to take their eyes off you. If, uh. And you're taking mock drafts to a whole nother level of masturbation at that point. Uh. 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 Oh my god. Oh my god. Am I sure am I going to be alone for the next 15 minutes? Well, really, five minutes, let's be honest. People aren't going to be able to take their eyes off you. And McNichols sounds like he could absolutely be a boxer from Boston. Because eye contact is way better than ball contact. People aren't going to be able to take their eyes off you. Mm, 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 mm. Oh my god. <sighs> Do not be chatty, floss toweling old ball guy. Mixon could mix in behind Marshawn Lynch. So the elite banger in this class that everyone should be considering in the middle rounds, Wayne Gallman, you don't even know where you have him ranked? That's the classic Matt Kelly squeeze one extra word that never took place in there. I don't remember using the word elite necessarily. That seems like a word I may have left out. An elite banger? Is that what you said? <laughs> That's like a porn term scouting report. Show's over, Nate. Oh my god. I never really recognized all the ways that I control conversations until you started pointing it out. And then I was on the Rotovid show recently, and I was arguing with Patrick Corain about CJ Procise and about Dante Foreman. And I found myself controlling the conversation where if I thought I had the high ground, I was just punishing him and just just relentlessly adding more points from the high ground. And the moment that I sensed that he was gaining the high ground, I shifted the conversation to something else. I repointed the artillery and outflanked him. Classic Matt Kelly tactic. Yeah, that's exactly what happens. No, it's it's great. That's why that's why the only counter to what you do is to let you have your take and then go back to what it was you were going to say. Redirect the conversation back to where it was. You just described how Tom Cruise beats the alien army in Edge of Tomorrow. You cannot allow me to continue to just blast away and then shapeshift and then teleport behind you and blast away some more. You have to hit the reset button. Right. I'm teleporting all over the battlefield on you. That's the tactic that you've described to me that I didn't even know I was doing, and now I'm sensing myself doing it, and I'm loving it, of course. This guy that's arguing with me is about to die. <laughs> he doesn't even see it coming. <laughs> He's going to shoot at me. I'm going to teleport, and I'm going to reapparate right behind him and chop his head off. Oh, poor Pat Corain, man. I felt bad for him after I was sending him texts after asking him if he was going to be okay. If there's anything I can do, I sent him a gift basket after the show because I felt so bad for him. You didn't ask me if I was okay. I included his head in the gift basket. <laughs> All right. The other thing that's funny is that I also have these canned rhetorical tricks that I use. If I sense that I am about to lose, instead of surrendering, I pull a ripcord, which is to completely change the conversation and say, no, 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 Nate, this is a value conversation. No, no, we're not talking about the player anymore. We're talking about where he's being drafted. If you get me on that one, I actually have a, have a backpack with multiple parachutes. So I can pull another ripcord and zoom out even further. And then I have a final, in case of emergency, ripcord. If I see the earth approaching me as I'm falling out of the air, about to die, I have one more ripcord that I can pull, which is, oh, didn't you know? Sports is not to be taken seriously. None of this matters. It's just a game within a game. Oh, that's great. That one could have come out the other day. I'll never wave the flag. I have too many tricks. 
that I can pull along the way down to save myself from certain death. It's the ultimate ripcord. I will pull ripcord three one day. <laughs> Mark my words, I will pull it. <laughs> ripcord three does nuke the entire show. It's why it's rarely used. <laughs> Ha <laughs>